As I said, we're continuing our discussion on pursuing biblical health, and in particular looking at a couple of books by Mark Dever, The the Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and the What is a Healthy Church, based on that book. And uh, the third mark of a healthy church that we're going to be talking about tonight is the one regarding biblical theology. If, uh, If a church is going to be healthy, it has to be based on a theology that comes from Scripture. And uh, so, theology, basically, is just, it's the study of God, right? It's the understanding and learning about who God is. It's from theos, the Greek word for God, and of course, we all know that ology refers to the study of something. So, theology just means our understanding of who God is. And how do we know who God is? Through His Word, right? I mean, we know that God exists essentially because of creation. God has revealed His power and His presence in creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim His handiwork. So, so we understand and know that there is a God, but we know Him specifically and especially through His Word. And we talked last week about expository preaching as being a mark of a healthy church, because as, as we seek to know God and to understand Him, His purposes, and His ways, we need to look to the Word of God to guide and instruct us, and which is why we've been for two years working our way through books of the Bible in our in our studies, and just really in the last couple weeks, kind of stepping outside of that to focus our attention on, on a topic which I think is important for the church. And my only regret in, a, in approaching a topic is that it takes us out of the exposition of Scripture. But, but uh, we, we do, I think it's important that we do focus on this and, and understand that theology, what we understand and know about God, is important for being a church. And as I said, theology comes from Scripture. It comes from the doctrines of Scripture. And you saw in the the bulletin, I think we entitled tonight's study, Why We Need Biblical Doctrine, because doctrine informs theology. But it's all about what does the Bible teach about a given topic. When we talk about theology, we're saying, what does the Bible teach about who God is? Not just in one passage, but in the whole of Scripture. And so we're looking in that. Sometimes people don't like to talk about doctrine, they think, well, doctrine divides and, and, and it causes problems. Look, doctrine is just a word for teaching. It's, it's, it's the teaching of Scripture. So when we talk about doctrine, we're, just, we're talking about what does Scripture teach. We know that the word theology doesn't show up in, in Scripture, but the word doctrine does. And so doctrine is important and it informs our theology. And we're going to talk about where that word doctrine shows up in a few places here in just, in just a minute. But... So, expositional preaching is really the way we approach Scripture as far as teaching, but theology is kind of, it guides our exposition. Our understanding of God guides our understanding of what we study in God's Word. And they work together to help us develop a solid biblical basis for our church. Mark Dever, in his book, offers an example of the importance of biblical theology in studying God's Word. He talks about looking at 1 John 3.2. And in 1 John 3.2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. Now, when we study that verse in context, we come to the understanding that at the, at the end times, um, Christ is going to appear to His church and we're going to be conformed into His image so that we, as the body of Christ, will reflect 
his glory and his character in a way that is not impaired by a sinful nature, right? So sin is done away with, and we come to the reality where we are the most like Christ. But if you were to go and you were to hear that verse preached and you were sitting in a Mormon congregation, you would hear that verse preached from the context that we are going to be gods because we're going to be like Jesus and Jesus is God and we're going to be gods. And that's how they would interpret that because they have a very different theology than than we do. And so theology is important. Theology is important. You get two different interpretations, but we have to understand that it is theology that helps us to arrive at a proper understanding of Scripture. Not based on what we think, but based on the whole teaching of Scripture. Again, we don't develop theology just based on a passage here and there, but on the whole teaching of Scripture. So, I know uh, um, Ian was talking with a, with a guy this last week about a, about a youth conference um, that's going on, and, and he was trying to find out some information about, about what they believed and what the conference was going to be about, and, uh, and he was asking him some, some theological questions, and he's like, look, I'm not good at theology, I just want the gospel of Jesus to be preached. And, and I understand where he's coming from, and, and we've, we had this discussion earlier, and we both understand what he means by that, but without a solid theology, even your understanding of the gospel can be skewed. Even our understanding of, of what the gospel is, what Christ, who Christ is and what he came to accomplish can be skewed and we can end up with a very different understanding of even what the gospel is. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people out there when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they think that Jesus just opened the door to salvation, but it's up to us not only to walk through the door, but also to keep from falling back through the door. But that's not what we see in Scripture. That's not the whole teaching of Scripture when it comes to salvation and it comes to the gospel. Jesus came to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. He accomplished salvation on our behalf. It, he, and he holds us as his children. And so, so even our understanding of the gospel is shaped by theology. So without solid theology, we can misrepresent even the teaching of the gospel. And, you know, when I think about, you know, a, a gospel that, that teaches us that, that, one, that it's up to us to make up for what Jesus didn't do, and then it's up to us to maintain our salvation, that worries me because I know how messed up I am. I know how many mistakes I make. I know, how could you ever have any assurance that you had a right standing with God if you're constantly looking at yourself rather than looking at Christ. Our theology helps us to understand the satisfaction of Christ's sacrifice, of God, or satisfaction of God's wrath through Christ's sacrifice. Theology helps us to understand the, the wonderful grace of God that comes upon us and that our salvation is all of Him and what He has accomplished. Now that's, really good news. And the gospel is supposed to be good news. And so the sufficiency of Christ is at stake when we talk about even understanding the gospel. And we're going to talk a bit more about understanding the gospel and a biblical understanding of the gospel next week. But, you know, the gospel isn't a message that we just throw together from a few select passages in Scripture. 
It is the overall theme of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about what Jesus came to do on our behalf and for us so that he, so that God might redeem his children for himself and that we might be adopted into his family. The doctrine of salvation informs our theology, which gives us discernment when it comes to the teachings of Scripture. And now the necessity of discernment is something that's seen throughout the New Testament. It's something that the Apostle Paul um, taught to, to uh, his young pastor buddies, uh, Titus and Timothy. Um, he was very concerned about what they were teaching. They wanted them to teach sound doctrine. But even as we follow the Apostle Paul through his missionary journeys, we see the importance of doctrine and theology in when it comes to being um, a discerning people. In fact, when you go back into, into Acts 17 and, and you read about the Apostle Paul and uh, he had gone to Thessalonica and, he, had, and uh, he was preaching in Thessalonica and people were coming to faith in Christ and, and uh, the Jews were getting jealous and so what do they do? They run him out of Thessalonica, right? They start making threats against him, and the disciples, they get him, they're like, get out of here, and they send him off to Berea. And then in Acts 17, verses 10 and 11, it says, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, to see whether these things were so. You see, that's what it means to be discerning. That's what it means to have a biblical theology that informs your understanding of the teachings of Scripture. Paul's coming along, and he's teaching these Jews, and he's saying, listen, the Messiah has come. He has fulfilled the Scriptures, and these are the Scriptures that he's fulfilled. He says, this is what Isaiah was talking about. This is what Genesis was talking about. This is what the Psalms were talking about. And the people were excited. They're like, the Messiah has come. They, they, this was good news. They wanted the reality of the, the prophecies of the Messiah to be fulfilled. That's what they had been waiting for. And so they, they were listening with great eagerness at what the Apostle Paul had to say. But they checked everything he said against the Scriptures that they had. They said, look, this is great. I'm, man, we want this to be true, but we're going to check it against what the Word of God says. And that's what we have to do. We have to check the, the teaching of preachers and teachers against the revealed Word of God. Just because I say something, you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to believe me. In fact, I wish you wouldn't just accept it because I said it. I wish you would go back, and, and, if, and if I say something, even if you agree with it, go back and look at the passage and study it and, and seek the Lord's understanding in it and see if I know what I'm talking about. And if I don't, come to me and talk to me, and, and maybe I missed something. That, I mean, I'm fallible, right? I'm, I mean, I can make mistakes. Charlie Cole came to hear me preach. He thought I messed things up. He was, he was in, in there. He'd come out to hear me preach, and he's like, man, I don't remember that in Scripture. And he started looking it up, and, and, uh, but, but we were good, right? I mean, everything was on track. So, so, but, but, I mean, I can make mistakes. I asked my kids. My kids have been listening to me preach for 11 years, and they'll tell you every mistake that I've made from the pulpit in which they've been in there. They remember, and they remind me. Because, you know, I'm, I have the habit of getting things mixed up. And I'll say stuff like, you know, Jesus denied Peter three times. And, and, uh, and you know, that kind of stuff, that, that happens, you know. And, uh, and, you'll, and you can say, well, I, I know what he meant. But, you know, it's possible to mess things up, I mean, badly, and not just, not just get your words mixed up, but to actually 
you know, misrepresent Scripture. And that's what we need to be careful about, and that's why we need to have a biblical theology. Because, it, listen, it's y'all's responsibility to hold me accountable to what God's Word says. Now, I, I have to put in the time and I have to put in the study to, to show myself approved and, and to rightly divide the word of truth, and that's my goal each and every week is to dig into Scripture to be able to, to bring what God has said to you. But if I miss what God's saying, if, I, if I've somehow gotten off track, I need to be held accountable to that. And that's, and that's, why, that's why we need biblical theology. You know, we, sometimes we hear... Uh, preachers and, and teachers of the Bible, they say stuff, and it sounds really good. And, and it really is, is we're like, man, that, yeah, that's what I want to hear. That's good stuff. And, and we just kind of embrace it because, it, to a degree, it just kind of feeds our flesh a little bit, really. I mean, you know, things that sound good aren't necessarily feeding our spirit. Sometimes they're feeding our flesh. And just because they back it up with a couple of verses of Scripture doesn't necessarily mean it's true either. I was I was sharing with Ian the other day, I, I remember this, uh, this meme coming across my Facebook page, this has been a couple years ago, and it, it was, uh, it was a, a picture of a devotional calendar, you know, those daily devotional calendars that have scriptures that are supposed to make you feel good about the day, and, and, uh, and I don't remember exactly what the text was, but it was something sounded really good, but when you actually looked up the verse, it was something that Satan had said. And it's like, okay, <laughs> this, this is how we get messed up, because we hear something that sounds good until we realize it's something that Satan really said. And so we have to be careful. We have to be discerning. We have to allow the Word of God to judge us rather than us imposing our will on what it says because we have a tendency to do that too. We have a tendency to go to Scripture because we want it to say something. It's like, man, I, I, really, I, really, want, I really want the Bible to affirm me in this, so I'm going to look for some Scriptures that, that say what I want them to say. And we can begin to read in to what, what Scripture says. But when, when we approach the Word of God, we have, to, we have to step back and we have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us from His Word. We have to study it in its original context, its historical context, its, its grammar, its the, the original languages. And I'm not saying that we can't understand the Word of God just by the power of the Holy Spirit and illumination, because we can. I mean, God has given us his word so that we can understand it, but so that we're not deceived, we need to be careful at just embracing everything we hear just because there's a couple of verses attached to it. And that's, that's the point that, I'm, that I want to make. You know, when Paul wrote to Titus in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 9, he, as he's finishing out the qualifications of an elder or, or a pastor, he says that that they must be those who are holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So the pastor's, the pastor's responsibility is to develop sound doctrine, to be able to teach the church so that we can refute those who contradict the sound teaching of Scripture. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 and 4 says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. Those are some pretty strong words about the importance of sound teaching. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul exhorts Timothy to retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then a little bit later in that book, in chapter 4, verse 3, he talks about warning about the time and the end times when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will gather up for themselves teachers to tell them what they want to hear. And sound doctrine is so important because, it, you know what, it's easy to tell people what they want to hear. It's easy to be popular by downplaying the significance in the hard teachings of Scripture. If, you know, we don't have to talk about sin. We don't have to talk about repentance. We don't have to talk about how wicked we are and how undeserving we are. We can just say, you know what, God created us and He loves us and He just wants what's good for us. And if we just try and do what's right, then everything will be, be just wonderful and we'll just continue to walk. And, and you know what? And God, he, he wants you to be healthy and He doesn't want you to suffer and He just wants you to have the desires of your heart. So you know what? Just, just keep your eyes on Him and, and, just, and just, you know, just pray the prayer of faith and just trust that He's going to do what you want Him to do for you. That sounds great. It's just not true. <laughs> it's just not true. We, we saw it this morning. The, the Bible says that he who desires to, to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I, I mean, Jesus says in this world you will have trouble. He says, now take courage, I've overcome the world. He says, it's been granted to you not only to believe for the sake of Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. You see, Scripture, it, it's full of all these warnings, but it's also full of all these promises. And so the good news is that in the midst of difficulty and suffering, when we have a proper theology of who God is, that he is sovereignly reigning over all creation, that he is working in our lives for, his good and, or for our good and for his glory, then we can, we can understand how God can be working through those difficulties to magnify himself. So sound doctrine is a standard that we are encouraged to pursue in Scripture. Understanding it's necessary for the health of the church and it will challenge the thinking of the people. I know when, when we first started attending um, our home church back in Shelbyville, and, and we, were, we were going there, and, and uh, you know, we were hearing things that challenged our worldview, because we had a pretty secular worldview. I mean, we, we'd been Christians for a while, but we hadn't been discipled. And, and uh, you know, as, as you're going through life, you kind of develop... I mean, you just develop a worldview based on your experiences, right? I mean, you're trying to figure out how the world works. Why do people do what they're doing? You know, why do, why, how do people react? And how do, I, how do I interact with people to get them to react to me the way I want them to? And so we develop a worldview based on our experience. The problem is, is experiences can be misleading. We can interpret our experiences in a, in a wrong way. I gave this example a while back um, um, uh, while I was in seminary, I remember uh, one day I was, I was out, and, uh, and I had been taking some medicine for a sickness that, I, that I'd had, and, and uh, I, was getting, I, was, I was over the sickness, but I was still on the, on the medication, and uh, I was out uh, raking leaves and, and stuff at the apartment complex where I was working, and I, my chest started hurting. And I was like, well, it's just nothing. It's just, you know, heartburn or whatever, and I just kept working and just kept hurting, and, and I stopped, and I sat down, and it didn't go away, and I was like, I, I think I need to go to the hospital. And uh, so I, I called Maggie, and I said, I'm, I'm going to the ER. I said, I'm having chest pains, and I just don't, I don't know what it is. And so I go to the hospital, and, 
and they're like, and uh, so they check me out, you know, take me right back, and, and they give me some stuff for heart, some really strong stuff for heartburn. Apparently, the, uh, the amount of activity I was doing along with the medication I was taking was causing me to have heartburn. So, but now if I allow that experience to dictate my view of reality, the next time I have heartburn, or the next time I have chest pain, I'm going to say, well, it's just heartburn, and I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm not going to say, oh, you know, well, maybe it's a heart attack this time. I'll say, no, nah, I know what that is. I had that before. It's just... It's just chest, it's just heartburn. It's just, you know, I'll just, I'll just take something when I get home. And I could really be having a heart attack because I've allowed circumstances and experience to determine my reality rather than allowing something outside of myself to tell me the truth. And that's the thing, that's the thing about truth. Truth is not within us. Truth is found in God's Word. And so we allow God's Word to teach us what's true and then we interpret our circumstances through what God's Word has taught us. So, our responsibility in looking to the Word of God, our responsibility is to understand what it says, what it means, and how it applies to us, and then to submit to it rather than seeking to conform it to our own way of thinking. I think a perfect example of this is seen in the moral revolution taking place in our country as our culture seeks to normalize behaviors that the Bible characterizes as sinful, even to the point of trying to redefine Scripture to fit their own storyline. And I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but... In, in the moral revolution, when it comes to, to issues of homosexuality, and especially as it relates to the church, there are people that are trying to redefine what the Bible means when it talks about homosexual relationships. And in, and in particular, when Paul speaks about unnatural homosexual relationships, they try to say, well, there's a difference between natural homosexual relationships and unnatural ones. That is not in there, okay? And, and listen, Paul's cultural context was a lot more familiar with homosexuality than even ours is. And so when he spoke out against it, there was no misunderstanding what he meant. And it's not that, it's not, and listen, homosexuality isn't any worse than lying or stealing the, the biggest difference with, with those sins is that you don't find people typically trying to redefine Scripture to justify lying or to justify stealing. But they do, in the, in, the, in the cultural war that we're in, they do. Now, the reality is, is whatever sin anybody's engaged in, and here, listen, we are all susceptible to falling into sin. We all have different weaknesses. The devil knows how to tempt us. None of us are any better than anybody else. We are all weak, and we are all susceptible to falling. Just a couple months ago, a guy I, I think very highly of, a pastor that I've listened to and have followed and has taught me much in the, just in the last couple of years, fell into sexual temptation, lost his church, almost lost his family because, because he gave in. And listen, this, this guy's rock solid. 
as far as his theology and his understanding, but he's still a man. And we have to guard ourselves or we'll fall. And so while theology is important, it's not going to keep us from falling into sin unless we act upon the things we know to be true. And so we have to be, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Mark Dever says in, in the Nine Marks book, he says, in practice, hold on, let me back up a little bit. We must allow Scripture to conform our mind to its truth as we consider how that impacts the church. We must come to terms with those things in which we must agree, in which we may agree, in which we may disagree on. Dever says it this way in book. He says, in practice, every church decides whether it requires complete agreement, whether it permits limited agreement, and where it allows complete liberty. I mean, so when we think about that, so things that we must agree on as a church, if we're going to covenant together as a body of Christ and we're going to work together, we should all agree on what the gospel is, right? We should all agree that salvation is in Christ alone and, and he is the only means of salvation. If we can't agree on that, then we probably shouldn't be in fellowship. Now, it doesn't mean we can't be friends and it doesn't mean we can't talk. It just means we probably shouldn't be in church together because we have a very different idea of what the gospel is. And so, as a church, we should agree on what the gospel is and its applications and, and those types of things. But, you know, there, and there's some things that are not matters of salvation, which we also should agree, agree upon. We ought to agree about baptism, right? And we ought to agree that baptism is for those who have been saved, for those who have been redeemed by Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. It is for those who have made a profession of faith in Christ, and it is done by immersion, right, to represent our identity with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, right? So while baptism is not a matter of salvation, just as a matter of unity within the body, it's something that we need to agree on. Because if we have different ideas about baptism and, and how we're going to administer it, and someone's coming and saying, I want my baby baptized, and someone else comes saying, well, I don't want to be dunked, I just want to be sprinkled, it's going to cause some conflict. It's going to cause some, but you know what? When we allow Scripture to guide us and we say, okay, this is what we see in Scripture as the example, this is what we, how we define these terms, and this is what we want to do, and we all agree on that, well, that helps to provide unity in the church because we're re- united around a common belief. But now when it comes to things like, uh, you know, on Wednesday night, Jim's leading us through the book of Revelation. When it comes to things like, you know, we, I think we should all agree that Christ is going to return because I think there's no doubt that Scripture teaches that Christ is going to return. Now, the exact chronology of when Christ comes back, we can disagree on. I mean, we, we really can because, honestly, the Bible just doesn't give us a list like in, in a passage of Scripture that just says, this is how it's going to happen. You know, we have to draw from different passages and we have to understand where they overlap and try and make sense of it all. And there can be room for disagreement. And that's okay. We can have, we can disagree. Like I said, I think we all ought to agree he's going to come back. There's limited disagreement there, right? He's, he's coming back. The Bible's clear on that. But when and how and, and all the circumstances surrounding it, we don't necessarily know. And that's, and that's okay. And then there's other things that, you know what? Some things are just matters of, of personal conviction. Some things are matters of personal study. You know, if, if you want to, to believe that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews and I want to believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, who cares? I mean, ultimately, if we can agree that the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Hebrews, I think we're okay, right? 
I mean, there, there, there's, there's no real evidence as far as who the human author of Hebrews was that's, you know, solid enough to, to just make a case that's worth fighting over. And so, there, there's areas, you know, where we can, we can agree to disagree. And so, even when it comes to things like um, just wars and the rightness of armed resistance and, and things like that, we can have disagreement. I mean, within the body, we don't all have to have the same agreement. Now, we might, and it, it, it might, it could cause some friction here and there as we Im, Im, implement certain safety precautions and things in the church because most of us agree that we ought to protect ourselves. Then, you know, that, that may ruffle some feathers here and there. But it's okay. I think we can still enjoy fellowship with one another even if we disagree. And so anyway, so those, those types of things, those are examples of just where we need to have agreement, where, we, where, we need to, where there can be limited disagreement, and where there can be liberty in what we, what we believe that Scripture teaches us. And we need to recognize that we're all maturing in our spiritual walk. We're all at different places in our journey with Christ. We're all at different places in our understanding of Scripture and our familiarity with it. And, and just because we have a disagreement about something doesn't mean that, that we can't fellowship together. We need to be gracious towards one another. You know, there, there's areas in, in my life where I'm further along than my kids, but there's areas in my children's lives where they're further along in their walk than I am. So I'm, I'm constantly learning from my kids and in, the, in, in their relationship to Christ. Because you know what? I, I didn't grow up in, in a home where, where the Bible was taught and, and where I was expected to, to conform to the image of Christ. I mean, I didn't get saved until I was almost graduating from college. And so, you know, as, as we're raising our kids and trying to teach them the things of God and, and to live their life in a way that in, in honors Him, you know, sometimes we're in new territory a lot of times. And, uh, and so, so we're all in different places in our, in our walk and in different areas of maturity, and we need to be gracious towards one another. But here's the thing. We all need to be growing. We all need to be growing in our understanding. We all need to be growing in our knowledge of biblical truth. And, and especially when it comes to how that truth impacts the church. And Dever gives a list of uh, questions in the What is a Healthy Church book suggesting that there, there are some questions that churches need to answer and that are often overlooked. I mean, just, just basic things like, are people basically good or are they basically bad? You know, I mean, we, we ought to explore that as a church and, and what we believe. Are people basically good or bas- Do they merely need encouragement and self-esteem or do they need forgiveness and a new life? What did Jesus Christ do by dying on the cross? Did he actually and effectively satisfy the just wrath of the Father or did he merely set an example of self-sacrifice for his followers? That's probably an important thing for us to search out and to understand. What happens when someone becomes a Christian? If we are Christians, can we be sure that God will continue to care for us? And if so, is his continuing care based on our faithfulness or on his? Those are some pretty good questions for for us as individuals to ask ourselves and then to seek the answers in the word of God to have a theology that's formed on his truth. He says these questions are important for every Christian. Faithfulness to Scripture demands that we speak about these issues with clarity and authority, as does our desire to display the character of God in all its fullness. 
Just consider, if we want churches that display God's character, don't we want to know everything He has revealed about Himself in the Bible? What does it say about our opinion of His character if we don't? If we want churches that display God's character, don't we want to know everything He has revealed about Himself in the Bible? And if we don't, what does that say about our concern for His character? That's a powerful statement. Sound doctrine comes from the careful study of God's Word. And it builds into us an understanding of God that offers us hope for this life and for the next. That is biblical theology, biblical doctrine. The acceptance that God has revealed himself generally in creation, but especially and specifically through his word so that we may know his character, his purposes, his promises, and his ways. Biblical Theology helps us to understand that God is not just God because he created everything, but that according to his word, he also sustains everything and accomplishes all things in accordance with his will. You know, it's a comforting thought that God has taught us through his word that no matter how crazy things get, no matter how out of control, things may seem from our perspective, that he's still in control. We talked about this this morning. You know, if you, when you look at what Christ endured, especially in the last days of his earthly life before his crucifixion, and you look at the events leading up to his arrest, and then the, the events of the arrest, the trial, and the crucifixion itself. And I told you this morning, I said, think about what the disciples were thinking what they were going through. Their world was falling apart. And yet, what was God doing? God was bringing about the redemption of mankind through the death of his son. So, while things were crazy and out of control from a human perspective, nothing had gotten out of God's control. You know what? It's that way in our life sometimes. Things can seem crazy and out of control, but our Lord reigns. He is... He is sovereign, and He is Lord of all. There's nothing that we will encounter in this life that God cannot deal with in our lives. When life is at its most difficult, there's no greater comfort than understanding that He holds it all in His hand. But yet the doctrine of God's sovereignty throws people for a loop. Because when things are going wrong in their life, they want God to be sovereign. But when they're not in trouble, they don't want to think about it. They want God to be sovereign when, when they're in trouble, but they don't want God to be sovereign when it comes to their, their own decisions and their own, their own will. But God works through it all. Somehow and in some mysterious way, God works even through our decisions to accomplish his will. It's not that it's easy for us to grasp the doctrine of God's sovereignty or really a lot of the doctrines that reveal who God is because he's so much greater than we are. I mean, we, we are finite and he is infinite. We are limited in our understanding to comprehend the fullness of God. And yet he has revealed himself to us in his word so that we can seek to understand and to know him. And, you know, you think, I mean, just even something 
that is familiar to us and is something that, that we accept readily. I mean, the doctrine of the Trinity. But yet, who of us can really explain it in, in a way that's comprehensive? I mean, we can't. Because whatever we try to use to explain it, at some point it breaks down because it's less than what God is. So, we rely on the scriptures to inform our theology, to guide our doctrine, and to help us pursue biblical health as we seek to be a reflection of God's character in all that we do. For the truth to be truly united in Christ Jesus, it must be united in the truth of his word, in the doctrines it teaches, and the theology that arises from it, so that we might know him and that we might make him known to the world around us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for this study. It, it, it challenges me, and, and Lord, I hope it's a, a challenge to our people to just to look at again, Father, what your word teaches about who you are and about what you want from us as your church. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to instruct us, continue to conform us to the very image of Christ for which we have been redeemed and which you continue to work in our lives to reveal yourself, your goodness and grace. And Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to our own pride, to our own insistence and preferences, and that, Lord, you would just bring us to a place of surrender so that you might be most glorified in us. Lord, we love you. We can't say thank you enough for the grace that you've extended to us through your Son. And we pray, Lord, that we would develop a heart like the Bereans to receive the teaching of your word with all readiness and excitement but to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Lord, give us discerning hearts and obedient lives for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen.